Folks, we have been progressing through First Peter. We've been talking about passing through how we are to live our lives in this world as we wait to go be to be with Jesus, whether he comes for us or whether we die and go to be with him. In the meantime, while we're here, God calls us to live in specific ways, as sojourners, as pilgrims. And when we got to chapter 2, especially verse 12, we saw, actually verse 11 and 12, he says in verse 11, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshy lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. He's talking about that we are to live our lives in such a way that we live honorably among those who are not saved, who are unbelievers. And then right after that, starting in verse 13 of chapter 2, he goes on and talks about how we live our lives before unbelievers in the society we live in. With, with especially with regards to how we act with government. He then goes on further and talks about how we are to live in an unfair world, talks about slaves, how they're to respond to the unfairness that they're living in. And now we get to chapter 3. Out of chapter 12, excuse me, out of verse 12 in chapter 2, he's now talking about how you and I are to be in our marriages. So today we're going to talk about marriage. So let me just stop. I need to qualify some things to you. Okay? First of all, as I saw that this was the passage that I was supposed to preach, I thought, oh, oh, Lord, can I just skip these verses? And I'm going to tell you why I had that thought. For the average believer in a church... When we look at these instructions about how we are to be in our marriages, I'll just be honest with you, we are often defeated by it. In fact, can I be honest with you? When we read these passages, our minds are immediately filled with, are you ready for this? Excuses. They're filled with excuses as to why we can't do this. And it's like this. We say, Lord, you don't know him. You don't know what he's like. I have to deal with him. Or, Lord, she's like this, and you're expecting me to act like this with her. And so our minds are filled with excuses as to why we can't do what God is telling us to do. Do you understand what I'm saying? We know that we're to live honorably and especially live honorably in our marriages, but there's no way we can do it because the excuses come to our mind. That's the first thing that came to my mind. The second one that came to my mind is, is are you ready for this? Who am I to get up here and tell you how to do this? I mean, yeah, Lori and I have been married for 25 years. Lori and I love each other. 
But I'm going to be honest with you. Do we have a perfect marriage? She'd be the first one to tell you no. In fact, she would probably tell you, you don't know what it's like to live with him. And she's right. So the, the thought that enters into my mind is, well, who am I to get up there and tell them how to do this? But then the thought is, is I'm not telling them how to do it the way I do it. I'm telling them to do what you said, Lord. And so that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at these first seven verses. And, and my prayer is that all of us here, whether you're married or not, and some of you are not, would look at this and come to a conclusion about what God calls us to. Because there are lessons here, not just for those who are married, but also for the rest of us. So let's look at the passage together. If you have your Bibles, it's going to be up on the screen. We're going to look at verses 1 to 7. We're going to talk about these verses. Some of them are misunderstood. We will discuss the misunderstanding with you. So here's what he says. Peter writes, verse 1, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without the word may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arraigning the hair, wearing gold, putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with incorruptible beauty of gentle and quiet, of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, as soon as I read those verses, I could almost sense some of you saying, seriously, George? I came here to be encouraged today, and I felt like you just brought out some chains that you're going to chain me with that is oppression, simply because of the wording of the text. Well, we're going to go through the text today. We're going to divide it into three sections. We're going to see that you and I, and you need to recognize this, are a part of something bigger. We're going to see then specifically instructions for wives and then instructions for husbands. And we're going to wrap it up together. All right? So let's talk about this. Verse 1, one word tells us that we're part of something bigger. It's the very first word of verse 1. It says this, wives likewise. That word is likewise. What's going on here? Well, verse 1 is connecting it back to the discussion that he's having in chapter 2, which comes out of verses 11 and 12, about living honorably. He's already discussed how we're to live honorably 
with regards to government in our society. He's already talked about how we're to live honorably when we're living in an unfair circumstance, an unjust circumstance. Now he's going to move on to talk about how we're to live our lives honorably in our marriages. So here's two points I want you to see. Here's the first one. First of all, living honorably before unbelievers includes our marriages. Living honorably before unbelievers includes our marriages. Hey, can I, can I tell you something that you need to realize? You don't live in a bubble. Do you realize that? You don't live in a bubble. And what I mean by that is we oftentimes think that we're isolated and that people have no clue about what's going on in our homes and no clue about how we treat each other in a marriage. But the fact of the matter is, everybody knows, right? Isn't that right? We all know how we're doing. There are telltale signs of that. We might be very good at how we are presenting ourselves outwardly, but there are little signs that tell us, little nipping signs, little sarcastic remarks that tell us whether or not things are okay at what? Home. And the fact of the matter is that you as a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're going to have a testimony of living honorably before unbelievers around you, you need to show that your life is impacted by Jesus, not in the way that you are just out in the world, but that your life is impacted by Jesus right in your own very, what, homes, in your marriages. You're a part of something bigger, and that part of something bigger permeates all of your life. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, that's a struggle, because in America we live in compartments. We compartmentalize everything. We are who we are at home. We are who we are with our families, our extended family. We are who we are at, at work. We are who we are with our buddies. We are who we are at Walmart, even. And sometimes that those different compartments, if you were to look at the same person, we act differently in each one of those situations. And that's how we compartmentalize our lives. But God actually calls us to be the same person where? in every area of our life. And that includes our marriages. That includes our marriages. So the first thing here is living honorably before unbelievers includes our marriages. Now here's the second thing that comes out of that one little word, likewise. That requires effort in our marriage. That requires effort in our marriage. Hey, has anybody ever told you marriage is work? It is. We have a tendency to think when we get married, we can coast. Ever notice that marriages that coast don't do well? Marriage is work. And you really need to put the effort into it. Why? Because you have to keep going forward in the marriage. If you don't, you're going to go backwards. In fact, think about this for a moment. You know what? I think about this. I think, okay, in 19, 
91 Super Bowl party at my house. My One of my buddies who was engaged, his fiance brought her roommate who happened to be Lori to the party. I had a whole bunch of people there and Lori just caught my eye there, okay? She couldn't care less about me, but I thought she was cool. Got to get to know her. Well, from that point on, it was an effort to try to get to date with a woman who doesn't date anybody. Okay? So George is putting forth all kinds of effort to spend time with her, to do things with her. Now, I'll talk to her now about George 25 years later. We can be in the same room and both be exhausted and not talk to each other at all. Did you understand? You're laughing, but you're like that too. What happened? We don't put the same effort out anymore. I mean, when you were sparking that person, your person, I mean, you put some serious effort into it, right? But now that you got each other, and you made those vows, and you signed those documents, and registered them at the courthouse, now that it's a done deal, the effort's not there anymore. I mean, you you let on that you were this neat freak who's always cleaning up after yourself, and then when you got married, she's frustrated because you leave your underwear laying around everywhere. You're not putting forth the effort, right? The issue is, is that when you're a part of something bigger and you realize that your marriage is also in that issue of being living honorably before unbelievers, it requires effort in our marriages. Now somebody would hear me say, you know, George, I've tried the effort thing and it didn't work. It just ended up in failure. Well, here I'm going to be honest with you. As I said earlier in the service, when we try it on our own, yes, we're going to fail. That's where we need God to help us in our efforts in our marriages, right? In fact, we're going to realize that here in a moment when we look at the instructions. We're going to look at the instructions and we're going to realize that when we look at what God's asking us to do, we can't do it. But with God's help, we can. But we've got to what? Make the effort. So let's look at the instructions. First of all, it seems like a lot of instructions just for the wives. We're going to look at verses 1 to 6. We're going to go through these section by sections. I want to point out three things here, three main things from this passage that will help you to understand how we're to be in our marriage as ladies. First of all, he says in verses 1 to 2, he uses that oppressive word. We're going to explain it here in a moment. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if they do not obey the word, they without the word may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Here's the first one. It's place yourself under the leadership of your husband. Place yourself under the leadership of your husband. As soon as I say that, immediately there's going to be some kind of excuse. Well, you, you don't know what he's like, George, and if, if it was just up to him, nothing would get done. 
Or he doesn't, you know, if it wasn't for me, we would be in the poorhouse if we just did what he said. Or here's the better one. He doesn't even know the Lord. Well, let's talk about what it means here to be submissive, first of all. First of all, the word submission does not mean obedience. Okay? He is not saying here, wives, obey your husbands. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that. It doesn't say that in Ephesians. Paul, when he talks about it, says, wives, be submissive to, to your husbands. He says later to children, obey your parents doesn't use the same word. In fact, the word has a different meaning. It means two people who are equal, but one places themselves under the other. Do you understand what I'm saying? Two people who are equal, but one who places themselves under the other. And here it's talking about with regards to leadership in the home. It's not talking about that if you're at Walmart and you're trying to decide between 1% and 2% that you call your husband and say to him, do I buy the one or the two or would you rather have whole? No, it's not talking about that's weird. Don't do that. Okay? But rather, when it comes to the direction of your home, and the leadership of your home, you're going to place yourself under your husband. Now, notice what he says here for those of you who have unsaved spouses. You're especially to do that. Why? Because by doing that, you are a living testimony of God to your husband as he observes your behavior. Isn't that interesting? You know, I've, I've been pastoring a long time now, and I've met many wives who whose husbands don't know the Lord. And sometimes I see sometimes a factor happen because of their desperation and their love for their husband and wanting him to come to know Christ. Sometimes they fall into the trap of trying to manipulate their husband into Jesus. Manipulate him to church or manipulate him to do this in hopes that that would catch his attention. I'm going to tell you folks, I've never seen that work. But rather you live out your life before them. And you place themselves, place yourself under their leadership. So he's saying here, place yourself under the leadership of your husband. Here's the second thing he says. It's interesting, verse 3 and 4, look at what he says there. Do not let your adornment be merely outward. Arranging the hair, the wearing of gold, or the putting on of fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. Here's what I want you to see. Give attention to cultivating the beauty of inner spirituality. Now, let me just stop for a moment. Some people look at this and say, well, see, there he is. He's telling us not to worry about dressing up. No, he didn't say that. If you're a lady, you're going to want to dress up, right? He says, just like you're giving attention to your outward appearance, give even more attention to what? Your inner spirituality. The beauty of who you really are on the inside. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Beauty is fleeting, Proverbs says. But a woman who loves the Lord... That's a completely different story, isn't it? 
Be who you really are on the inside as you allow your relationship with Jesus to take over who you are. That's what he's saying to the wives. Focus on your inner spirituality. Now you're sitting there, you're saying, okay, great, wonderful, George. First thing, I'm supposed to put myself under the leadership of my husband. I'm going to have to think about that one a while. Then I'm going to cultivate my inner beauty? How do I do that? Well, it's interesting. God tells you how. Look with me now at verses 5 and 6. He says this, For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive in their own households. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose father you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Let's take a look at this. By the way, guys, this is not saying that she needs to go home and start calling you Lord. Okay? That's not going to work. Don't even ask. All right? Forget that one. But here's what I want you to see. Here's this next one. Look to the example of spiritual women in the Bible. Look to the example of spiritual women in the Bible. Now, can I set you free? Because as soon as I say that, some of you are going to be oppressed, especially if you've been involved in some ladies' Bible studies. Sometimes we have a tendency in church today to present all of the women in the Bible as being perfect women who had perfect relationships with God, who were perfect Proverbs 31 women. Well, the reality is, is that you're not going to find any woman in the Bible who was perfect. And I think it's very interesting that when God is saying that we're to be this way, he gives to us a certain woman as an example of how we should live. He brings up Sarah. Isn't that interesting? Sarah as an example of one who is submissive to her husband and who was focused on her inner beauty. I think that's a powerful testimony because when you read through Genesis, if you were to read through Genesis chapter 11 all the way up to Genesis chapter 20 and you get introduced to Sarah, here's what you find out about Sarah. She's a nag. Oh, I'm not going to have a baby. I'm not going to have a baby. Take my handmaid. Okay. Why did you do that? That's your example. What does that tell you? You don't have to be perfect. God allows for failure. Do you understand what I'm saying? When you look at verse 1 and 2 with regards to the submission issue, and you look at verses 3 and 4 with regards to the inner beauty issue, that's what we should be striving for. Are you going to be perfect as you strive for it? Boy, everybody's dead today. Are you going to be perfect as you strive for it? No. Should you be perfect as you strive for it? Sometimes when you read the Christian material out there, it seems like you need to be. No. But 
Are you going to fail? What do you do? Do you give up then? No, you pick yourself up and what? You keep striving on. Why? Because that's why you have the example of Sarah. Hey, you want to talk about Sarah? God shows up and says, next year you're going to have a baby. Guess what Sarah does? Laughs. Are you kidding me? Don't you know how old I am? She's human. See, here's the thing. I want you to grasp with me. We're going to look at the instructions for men here in a moment. When God calls us to do something, he knows that in and of yourself, you can't do it. Ladies, when he says to you, place yourself under the leadership of your husband, look, I know that that's a struggle for Lori because I know that sometimes I don't make wise decisions. She didn't hear me say that. Oh, you're going to say amen. Okay, okay. All right. All right. Well, listen to me. And I know that it's a struggle. God knows it's a struggle. But that's what you should be striving for. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because he's the one who what? Helps you to do it. Even if your spouse doesn't know Jesus. That's the point here. We're striving to live honorably. Let's look now at the instructions to men. It's just one verse. You say, wow, men don't have as much to do as we do. No, no, there's a lot in this one verse. Let me read you verse 7. He says this. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Three things we're going to see here for you guys, for me and you. Here it is. Number one, he says this, dwell with them with understanding. All right, you ready for this one? This one hit me like a ton of bricks. Take time to consider your wife. I had to really think about this one because I'm, I'm a dude. We're married. And you just, I got the schedule, and you just, I, I'll be honest with you, I take Lori for granted. I just figure she's going to hoist up everything that I don't hoist up. And a lot of times I don't hoist up a lot of things. I think if we looked at it, guys, we would have to be honest that that's reflective of a lot of us. And we often think in terms of ourselves, like what I want, I want. And in fact, we have this saying, in fact, it came up because we just had all of the cannons. It's getting bigger now. We got all the cannons in our, for Thanksgiving. And we were, we went down to Pittsburgh together on, on, uh, on, uh, on, on Friday. And, you know, and, and, and we've got this saying and they bring it up. It's all about you, dad. It's all about you. Hey, I'm not the only one. Husbands, a lot of times we think in terms of it's all about who? Me and what I want. But if daddy ain't happy, nobody ain't happy. Right? First thing Paul Peter says is to the husbands is, you know what? 
Dwell with them with understanding. Take time to consider your wife. That's difficult. That immediately spoke to me, that I need to start thinking about someone other than myself. Here's the second thing he says. It goes right along with it. <clears throat> he says this. He says, look at verse 7. Giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. Here's the, here it is. Are you ready for this one? Hold on to your seats, dudes. Quit taking her for granted and treat her with honor. Quit taking your wife for granted and treat her with honor. Man, that is so easy to do, is especially when you're in a marriage relationship and if you're a guy, it is so easy to take your spouse for granted. Oh, she'll make dinner. She'll have this done. The laundry will be done. She'll do all the shopping. She'll take care of the kids. God's, God is saying to me, he's saying to you, quit taking her for granted. Treat her with honor. Treat her with honor as a, as a, as a weaker vessel. What does that talk about? That's like, well, you know what? In my home, we have, we have this Rosenthal china that came from my family. And, and uh, it's pretty precious. We take care of it. You just don't drink coffee out of it, like slamming a mug down on the counter. It's precious china. So you'd handle it differently. That's the, the picture he's giving here of you, how you are to be dudes with your wife. You are to be treating them like they are something precious. Here, you want to know how to treat them? Treat them like you would your brand new truck. When you go to Walmart and you take up two or four places to make no, sure nobody gets near your vehicle, right? Quit taking them for granted and treat them with honor. And then he brings up this third point, which I think is something we really need to reflect on. I know I am. He says, recognize that your relationship with her affects your prayer life. Recognize that your relationship with her affects your prayer life. Here's what it's saying. You need to recognize that the other two things aren't options. That you need to consider her. You need to quit taking her for granted and treat her with honor. Because the fact is, is if you aren't aware of that, then your relationship with God is affected. God doesn't hear your prayers. He doesn't have time for you because you don't have things right at home. That's what he's saying here. So there he is. He, he tells us these instructions for wives. He tells us these instructions for husbands that we really need to make an effort in our, in our relationships. So you say, okay, George, what do we do with this? Where do we, where do we go with this? Well, let me give you some things to think about. Two things. Number one, understand that you're not living in isolation. You're not in a bubble. Your life, your marriage is a testimony to everybody around you, whether you realize it or not. And the way that you treat each other is reflected. Everybody sees that. 
And to be honest with you, if they know you're a believer, that has a reflection on who? Jesus, whether you like it or not. Understand that you are not living in isolation. So we need to make an effort to what? Live honorably before unbelievers, especially in our marriages. Especially in our marriages. That brings me to my second point now. Make, an, make the effort to live honorably with your spouse. Make the effort. Here, in fact, let me just go ahead and tell you, you got to think long term. Don't decide after you leave here and you think, oh, well, okay, George, thank you, George, and thank you, Lord. This week, I'm going to try this. Um, you're going to, by the end of the week, decide, I've tried it, it isn't going to work, I'll go back to the way I was before. That's short-term thinking. To be honest with you, you need to have long-term thinking. What do you mean long-term thinking? Well, you need to realize that as you start out to do the things that he's telling you to do in this passage, whether it's you as a wife or you as a husband, you need to recognize that as you start out to do these things, you're not going to do well. You're not going to do well. In fact, I wouldn't even encourage you to do this. Don't go home today and tell your spouse, well, I'm going to do what the Bible tells us to do. Their response will be, yeah, you've tried that before. Just don't do it. Just do it. And if you fail, pick yourself up and do it again. And if you fail, pick yourself up and do it again. Righteous man may fall seven times, but he what? He rises up again. You'll need to get up and do it again. Don't give up. Think long term. But the point is, is that you're doing it not because you want to have a happy marriage, not because you're wanting to be perfect in your relationship. No, you're doing it because God called you to what? Live honorably before everybody. So live honorably with your spouse. Live honorably with your spouse. Let me pray for you.